0: Welcome to the Dr. Dap Show. Today, I have a beautiful and special guest with me, Stephanie Jeffers. Stephanie is a woman who grew up in a Christian household, but was led astray to a painful, painful journey that then birthed something miraculous, beautiful that she would like to share today. So I am super excited to talk to a woman who is so inspiring by overcoming all of the things that life gave her, getting back on the horse of life and being able to bring something powerful to the world. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much.
1: It's an honor to be here. I really do appreciate your invitation. Um, Any chance that I get to um, have to share the story of what Jesus has done in my life is everything I went through was for something. And so platforms like this give me an opportunity to just Thank God for all that he has done and hopefully inspire and give hope to other people if they're feeling like they're in a dark
0: place. That is wonderful. On my channel, I do have a lot of women who come from various backgrounds who have experienced what we would consider to be trauma. Lots of trauma Mm -hmm. stemming from childhood that are impacting them today in terms of being able to live the life that God created for them. Many of them feel like they don't have a purpose or they can't overcome the wounds and the betrayal of people in their lives that have hurt them. So I know that you had a very sort of interesting childhood. Can you just talk a little bit about how you grew up? Because I do think it's a little bit unique.
1: Yeah. So I grew up um, in a Christian home. My um, parents were together until I was 15. And so it looked from the outside to be a beautiful, very normal, loving household. Um, Like I said, my dad was a pastor. I have an older sister who's 18 months older than I am. So we were really close growing up. Um, I had a really sweet gift from God of feeling very loved by Jesus from a very early age. And it wasn't religion, even though I was raised in the church and I was raised to to understand who God was and was taught scripture and went to Sunday school, all of that. It was never about religion to me. It was always about a relationship. And I think that is a gift, you know, to just have that instilled in you, something that's very natural to you. And so I know now that I know what I know about where my life went, that that was an extra special gift that, that was given to me by God just to have this really special and precious connection with Jesus. And I believed growing up that I was truly loved by him and I never questioned it. And I had huge amounts of faith for someone so young <laughs> and really believed that God, who was God, was who he said he was. And that I was who he said I was, because I was created by him and loved by him. And so that was a beautiful way to be raised. But it was also, it almost made it harder a little bit when I grew up and remembered that I had been abused by my dad. So I am a a daughter of a preacher. I'm a PK And what I learned in my older years was that I was also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and it was by my father. Wow. And so that makes for an interesting mix, right, of someone who grew up loving Jesus who was baptized by her father to also be abused in such a horrific way by her father. And so I am so grateful to be able to look back and know that my beginnings were founded on Jesus. Wow. Um, that was a, yeah, I think that is that is profound. The, the most important pieces of my childhood for very different reasons, right? That, right? that I was raised to love Jesus and raised to know Jesus, but also someone who taught me about Jesus was also my abuser. And so that those things really played a huge role in the rest of my life.
0: Of course, I mean that is profound. It is awful. It brings me some thoughts about people who have experienced something called church hurt where they feel like because of things that have happened in the church they no longer want to be associated with God, with Jesus. But in your situation, Your father was a pastor. He's the one who introduced you to God. He's the one who you learn from in terms of God's love. And on top of that, being your father, he was your source, your definition of that fatherly love that we think of when we think of God. And for that same person to abuse you in such a horrific way, I can't imagine as a child how confusing that was. Mm-hmm. as to how you then saw yourself and how you then saw god if your yeah. father could do this to you who you see and you know and you thought loved you then what is your father in heaven capable of doing to you right because yes, you can't see him.
1: him right yeah i think i have struggled always to i i've been able to in in the years since i have come back to god um, have been able to see God in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. you know, as my protector and my provider and my constant and my comforter and my friend. Right. But it's only probably been within the last year that I've been able to call him father.
0: Wow. Your story, as awful as it is, is so unfortunately common. There are mm-hmm. so many young women who have been abused sexually by their Own fathers. And there's so much confusion growing up after experiencing something like that in terms of love, in terms of their body, um, even in terms of like sexual behaviors that some of these young women are doing to themselves in terms of like masturbating and porn, where it's like, yes, they were abused by this person. But in some twisted way in their mind, they feel awful thinking that maybe it was their fault or, you know, they kind of enjoyed some attention from their father or, you know, um something that's supposed to make you feel disgusted is now the source of your arousal, right? And so it's like all of these confusing things could make a person hate themselves, hate their body, feel disgusted with themselves, right? How? Mm-hmm. How have you or how did you at that age overcome any of those types of feelings or was it something that you masked and and maybe sourced into other areas of your life?
1: So I did not come to terms with it at all at the time. Um, And I think that I handled it in a way that what I have learned doing the work that I do that is actually very common for women who have been sexually abused by someone in childhood. And so I was promiscuous. My my parents, le- my dad left when I was 15. Okay. Um, and after that happened, I became very rebellious and very promiscuous. Um, mm. I got involved in drinking and smoking pot and um, hanging out with my friends and doing all the things that preacher's kids should not do. Right. <laughs> and that is where I felt like I was getting some control and power back. Mm. And so in my youth, I think I responded to the abuse by completely shutting down because I blocked every memory out of it that I had was gone. I mean, that was blocked out of my mind until I was an adult until not that long ago, probably just a few, several years, maybe three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think in my youth, that's how I responded in my grown up life, I responded by going into the sex industry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, walking into that was a result of a lot of other things that, that I knew about, right? So there was abuse, and there was loss, there was a loss of a child, there was, you know, this on top of this on top of this, a lot of grief, you know, a lot of things that I believed at the time led me into the sex industry, where i thought i could walk in and control my body and control men and profit off of it mm-hmm. and hide in the darkness and jesus couldn't find me there and nobody could find me there and i i know now mm-hmm. that all of those behaviors that led to that and what led me into the clubs found foundationally came from that abuse so there were other things that happened in between my childhood abuse and when i as a grown woman walked into a strip club. Okay. But I know now that that there are a lot of things that happen to women who have experienced that kind of abuse. And a lot of us end up in the sex industry.
0: Yes, it's very, very common. Question yeah. in terms of your childhood with the abuse, was your mother ever aware of this she abuse? She was not. She was not. Yes. Okay. So
1: truly, what I have learned of Jesus has come from my mom. Mm, okay. And and how I have experienced unconditional love, mm-hmm. I learned from my from my mom. And so everything that I know to be true about God and having a relationship with Jesus, about forgiveness and acceptance and unconditional love, I learned from my mom. And so I was also the peacekeeper in our family. Okay. And I was the the light. You know, my mom used to call me her sunshine girl. And so there was no way I would have told her, you know, there's no way I would have disrupted the family. So she knows now and she believes me and she supports me and she stands by me, but Mm -hmm.
0: nobody knew then. Wow. I can only imagine other people that that could have happened with and just all the different things that had probably gone on with him. Now, growing up in terms of your childhood, when that happened, did you just decide that you were not going to believe in Jesus anymore? Or what happened after the abuse at 15 from that point to you going into the strip club?
1: So there was some ups and downs with my relationship with Jesus. So there were times when I was, you know, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a messy place. Um, I think I'll turn back to Jesus. And, you know, I would join like FCA, Fellowship of Cri- Christian Athletes when I was in high school. And you know, attend some things and try to regain a relationship with Jesus. But I was very turned off by the corporate church. Okay. And so um I think that there was no following Jesus, but there was me trying to connect with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But there was so much undealt with trauma and pain mm-hmm. and sin that I just couldn't get back to feeling the way that I felt when I was little. And so even, you know, I had what looked like a really normal productive life. You know, I graduated from high school and I graduated from college and I got married and, you know, got a degree in legal administration from Ball State University and um, everything seemed really okay on Mm -hmm. the exterior. But my relationship with with God was not what it what I wanted it to be. And I wasn't really sure how to get back there Um, so I had, you know, I married out of college. I had a daughter, um, when we got married and, and that marriage fell apart and there was just some more abuse that happened after that marriage ended and losing a baby while I was 16 weeks pregnant that, that came later too. And so there was just so so much loss and Mm -hmm. grief Mm -hmm. and in my entire life, family was so important, you know, and, I, all I ever really tried to do was put my family back together and I was doing it really poorly, (laughs) you know, because I didn't have, you know, I had the knowledge of this thing that I had with Jesus when I was little and that I wanted to be a Christian and would have professed that I was a Christian. I was, but I wasn't following Jesus. Right. Mm -hmm. There was so much more that I was longing for that um, I, I couldn't have found it and put my family back together.
0: Did you feel like you were at any point responsible for the family breaking up? Because I know that you did talk about becoming pregnant when you were 15.
1: Yeah. So I there were two pregnancies that I had that one in when I was 15, I was pregnant and got an abortion. And then later in life, I, I got pregnant and then lost that child when I was pregnant. So when I was when I was a younger girl, you know, and I had this abortion, which was something that you know, it was very the opposite of the way that I was raised, you know, to go and do that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think that I felt shame. And I think that because I had so much anger towards my dad that at the time was very undefined for me, you know, I didn't understand it and mm-hmm. I wasn't sure where it came from, that I think, yes, I, I there was a lot of responsibility that I believed that I had in the decline of our family. I don't think that I could relate it to that one particular thing, Mm -hmm. but I think that there was a lot of blame that I had.
0: Yes, Mm -hmm. So you were carrying a lot of that shame. And when you lost the baby, did you ever have thoughts about the abortion? Sometimes people tend to connect certain things and think that maybe God is punishing them or that they deserve certain things that are awful in their lives because of things that they have done. Did that ever? Yes, very
1: much so. Okay. I think that, you know, when I was, when I lost that baby, I was so far along, I had to have a DNC. Oh. And so I was, got to be put to sleep, which is, I'm very thankful for. But I woke up mm-hmm. and I just was so empty and so full of things mm-hmm. empty of this child, empty of dreams, empty of, you know, this plan for a family empty of a lot of things, but full of grief and shame mm-hmm. and hurt and hopelessness. And there was very much a connection in my mind of not necessarily that I was being punished, mm-hmm. but that um, it all just felt very familiar. Mm-hmm. And I that loss really is what drove me into the sex industry. And so I know that it compounded the trauma that i had because no matter what people say about the topic of abortion having been someone who's experienced it was unbelievably traumatic and unforgettable and there there's nothing about that day that i do not remember i am 52 years old and i still remember what i was wearing and so it would be impossible not to connect the two mm-hmm. the two losses the two feelings of waking up and feeling awful and being empty and having cared for something that you couldn't see, but now it was gone. And so that compounded trauma did a real number on me.
0: Yes, I think that sometimes people who are young and they hear these things and uh, they think abortion is something that's just so simple. I've never met a, a single woman who's had an abortion who is not pained by it. Some of them have been traumatized by it it is something that follows them forever um, mm-hmm. until they're able to have a relationship with Jesus and understand the forgiveness that he offers. But even yeah. still, even still with that, it stays with you and yes, it it, yeah, it's not to be taken lightly. So it seems like you've had this theme of family, right? Like your family being broken apart, having an abortion, Uh, having a marriage and a baby, but then the marriage falling apart, losing a child. It's like you wanted family so badly. And yet every time you had some sense of family kept kind of slipping from your fingertips. And that I feel was maybe the enemy just trying to stop you from being able to find fulfillment in the things that, you know, God was, was giving you. How did you end up in the strip club? Were you looking for a sense of family or a sense of belonging or how did that even happen? it's so
1: strange. So the enemy has such a way, right, of, Mm -hmm. of knowing exactly when to play, you know, and so long before I made the decision to walk into a club, I was working for for the county that I lived in at the time. And one of the, the men that I worked with had gone to a strip club for a bachelor party one weekend, and came back to work and was telling us all about it. And I was like, you are so disgusting. And I can't believe you go to those places. Those women are awful.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: trashy. Those places are trashy and you're trashy, <laughs> you know, just the whole thing. And and didn't really think about it again until the day that I began to truly grieve this child and truly grieve my life and where I was. And I tell you, it was almost an audible whisper you could be a stripper too. Mm-hmm. Because that is what this boy told me. You know, he said, when I was saying all of these things, like, this is so awful. This is a horrible thing that you did. And these women are horrible. He said, come on, Steph, you could be a stripper too. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, no, I couldn't, nor would I. You right. know? <laughs> Never say never. <laughs> right. <laughs> but when you're at your lowest uh-huh. and when you're at your most vulnerable, mm-hmm. you know, that's when the enemy can swoop in and and just whisper something to you that was spoken over you, that isn't true, that wasn't who you were created to be. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't following Jesus, and I wasn't turning to Jesus and seeking answers there. And so I was ripe for the picking. And when I heard that you could be a stripper too, stuff, it was like, well, maybe I could. And what I was seeking wasn't necessarily family, even though there was a really beautiful sisterhood in that club that I found. Mm-hmm. And I'm still friends with some of those women to this day.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I've been out of the life for almost 20 years. But I think what I was seeking was a place to hide. Okay. To just pull back from the responsibilities of all of those day to day, like go to where I was a paralegal, you know, nine to five, all of the things. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just didn't want to do it anymore. So I thought, I'll just take a little second and go here and hide for a minute. And that's the lure of that life. Mm -hmm. But I lost everything while I was there.
0: Wow. So you thought that you had already lost everything, right? but then you actually lost everything once you went there. What are some of the things that you experienced as a stripper that made you feel like you were actually losing instead of winning? Because that lifestyle is often glamorized. Uh, especially in the music industry and in, in music, uh, as strippers so being, cool. yeah, being like the yeah. ideal, right? You're getting money, you're getting all this attention from men, you're getting mm-hmm. gifts and trips, and you're being sung about in the music. Right. You feel like you're on top of the world, but in reality, that is not the experience that strippers actually go through. Like that's from like maybe yeah. the male's point of view, what they're experiencing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, that's not the pr- what the experiencing. So. <laughs> right.
1: I mean, I think at first, you know, for the first maybe three months, I felt on top of the world. Okay. I felt like powerful mm-hmm. because that's what they told me. When I walked in and they changed my name, you know, they I changed they that.
0: changed your name?
1: Yes, they did change my name, which actually is a lot more powerful than I realized, you know, because my mom named me Stephanie, and Stephanie is a name that I love, actually, and it's spelled with an F. And I think my name, not everybody likes their name, but I think my name is beautiful. And my mom must have thought so too, you know, and it has a sweet meaning and all of those things. And so when I went to the club, they gave me a new name, and he literally pulled out a book. And because I'm, he's like, what's your stage name? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been in a club before. And he said, we'll find one for you. And he went through this book of all of the women that had gone before and found a name that was no longer there. We have a this, we have a that. We, oh yeah, this girl quit. How about Carmen? What? And it was just like this log of women that had gone before me and he just picked one. And that's, that became my name. I was Carmen. And it's so interesting how quickly I walked away from my identity and who I was in Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I walked into this identity of Carmen. And so for the, the first few months, I, I was powerful. I, I bought into everything they told me when I walked into that club. You get the power. You call the shots. We protect you. We take care of you. Mm-hmm. And all of those things were lies. Because I, no matter how much money I made, and I made a lot, I was not in control. And they did not protect me. And, you know, every single day was a sacrifice of my of myself. Mm-hmm. And so it would just came with a price, you know. And so, yeah, I I banked. But I lost, I mean, I lost my daughter. You know, I, my house went into foreclosure because even though I was making so much money, I wasn't paying bills, mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. But I lost my house and I had to get a different car. And my daughter had to go live with her dad because I was not making a life for her. Mm-hmm. But I lost who I was. Like it's like selling a piece of yourself a dollar, a twenty, a hundred at a time mm-hmm. and till you're just the walking dead. And that's what I felt like. Yeah, so I don't think you know we we think that it's so glamorous and we think that we have so much control and we think that it's worth it. It's not worth it at all. you know, to lose everything, to lose your sense of self. I mean that led into prostitution, that mm-hmm. led into drugs. You know, things that I never would have thought that I would have done. I did. And it's amazing to me that God has done what he's done with my life because I did not believe that there was hope for a future. Mm. I truly believed there was one night in particular and I was wearing red and I had a lot of people coming to my stage and I thought, and I still remember it, like, I am good at this and this must be who I was created to be. Okay. And so I will work this stage and I will make this money because this is where I fit. This is where I belong. And I really believed that. And and I lived like I believed that because I didn't think that there was reason to dream anymore. There was no family to put back together. I had mm-hmm. lost everything. And there was a relief in that because You know, before that, I had expectations for my life. My family had expectations for me in my life, like good ones, like they were proud of me. There were things that they thought I could do. There were things I wanted to do. And I disappointed people over and over and over again. And I was unrecognizable to who I'd been raised to be. But when you get to that place of there is nothing else for me Mm -hmm. and nobody expects anything from me and I don't expect anything from me. I can't let anybody down. So this is this is a great place to be. And I, I hear that from women so many times, like that that's a safe place, right, to be where you can't disappoint yourself anymore and you can't disappoint other people.
0: Right. And I'm sure that a lot of the other women in this strip club have had similar pasts or different things where they were also hiding in the darkness. Yeah. Right. And having to do drugs. Strange
1: thing, right. To hide in a place where you're so exposed. Yes. But it's, it doesn't work.
0: (laughs) Well, one thing is that God is also in the darkness. A lot of times that's where people end up finding God because he, he also hides in the darkness and he is always there waiting and waiting for you to want him. To come into yeah. your life. So yeah. you got to the point where not only were you in the strip club, but you were involved in prostitution, involved in drugs, just at your lowest of lows. At what point did you decide that you wanted Jesus? How did that even happen?
1: I think what I wanted first was out. <laughs> you know, there's, it is a glamorized industry, but it's mm-hmm. also a very abusive industry. And so my truth was I was assaulted almost every night and people bite you and they touch you and they grab you and they say horrible things to you Mm -hmm. and it, and you aren't protected, you know, because, because my experience was that the club owners didn't care as long as you were making money. And so it didn't matter what people were doing to you. And honestly, I thought if I had put myself into that position, that's what I deserved you know, that was just the cost of admission, man. Like they could do whatever they wanted to do Mm -hmm. because that's what I was there for. And so I didn't realize even at the time that it was assault or abuse. I just thought it was the job. And I just got to a place where I couldn't do the job anymore. You know, I was too messed up and too lost and too dead inside. And I'd lost everything. You know, I was still seeing my daughter every week and every other weekend and but it wasn't the same, you know. I lost my child because I wasn't a good mom. And I lost almost every friend I had because I wasn't a good friend, you know, and and I lost myself and my relationship with with Jesus. And I just got to a place where I, I mean, I really remember the night where I was standing at the bar and I'm in these high heels and I'm looking around the room and I thought, man, I can't do this anymore. I just cannot do this anymore. Not one more foot can I put in front of the other and keep doing this. And I had no plans of turning back to Jesus. And I had no plans of where I would go when I left. I knew I just could not be there
0: anymore. So you didn't even think about the money or anything. You just thought, I'm just going to figure it out. I just know I can't be in this. Yeah. I actually have a question about the money part. Why is it that I hear a lot about strippers making so much money, but then don't really see the fruit of that. Like I don't see that a home was purchased or I, I don't see where that money actually goes. It's
1: so true. I mean, some of the women that I know and even still know did really great things with their money. Okay. Um, and I, once I got, you know, I let that house go to foreclosure, mm-hmm. you know, and when I lost my daughter and she went to, to live with her dad I had to sort of rebuild all those things. So I had a cute condo and I had a car and Mm. I paid my bills. Okay. But I made so much money. I should have had a lot more to show for it. (laughs) (laughs) And so because I was buying drugs, okay, you know, and Uh I was buying nonsense, you know, I would, I remember going to the mall and just buying all kinds of clothes that I didn't even want because I was trying to fill something. You know, I'm just like, I'm so empty like maybe if I go and buy another pair of booty shorts, you know. I mean, yeah, I, I didn't need any more booty shorts, but I would go buy some more booty shorts and you know. Right. I yeah, so it is it's very interesting. I know a lot of women now who live on the streets, you know, but they're mm-hmm. sex workers. And so yeah, there's an awful lot of money there, but when there's drugs and there's addictions and there's all of those things um that come in you know, they, they they're of greater importance to you. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're addicted, you're going to buy your drugs. You're not going to necessarily pay your light bill.
0: You know, (laughs) that's true. (laughs) What got you to take that second step to prostitution from stripping? Was it more money? Was it the attention that the men were offering you? How did you get from, from that to the next, even though they're all intertwined in in that world? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: I don't even know if anyone's ever asked me that before. So I honestly think it's what I felt like I was supposed to do because I was making plenty of money in the clubs. Okay. Like it was absolutely nothing I needed to do. But one of the girls had introduced me to this man who was like, if you just go and all he wants you to do is just go to his house and dance with no clothes on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I can do that. Like in retrospect, that is so scary. So like, dangerous, <laughs> you know, but I just did. I was just like, oh, okay, like I want him to be my regular. I want him to come see me regularly. So if that's what I have to do mm-hmm. was meet him at his house and just dance around his room naked, then I can do that. Okay. And what's the difference, right? I'm almost naked in a club. Mm-hmm. And so the thing about there's such a desensitization, isn't there, to to sin and to all of those things that whereas before I didn't even want to watch nudity on television, like you do become desensitized to things until you're, you end up in a club sitting around with nothing on and you're talking to people and dancing for people. And so that, that next step of going into someone's house and dancing with nothing on didn't really seem like such a huge leap. And then meeting him in a hotel and actually having sex with him didn't really seem like that much of a leap either. Mm-hmm. Because even though I never thought I would end up there, that is where I was. And so I just became hard to it. And I, yeah, it's such a great question though. Um, I think I just thought that was just what the next step was. And people kept telling me, and I knew this, like people would say in the club, like, but you're not a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking even before I had had sex with customers, I kept thinking I actually am because we are selling sex here. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what we're doing in this club is selling sex. So I had already in my mind, realized that I, I had to be a prostitute if I was dancing in a club because I was selling sex so actually going and doing it didn't seem like that big a deal
0: oh I see I mean but it was it was a huge deal Wow and so when you made that decision to stop the club you made the decision to stop everything even oh. seeing those men and oh yeah not relying on anyone else for money so then at yeah. what point did Jesus come back into your life. Because when you did mention how you were stuffing all these things in you trying to have some fulfillment with the clothes and all of the different drugs and things that you were doing, things that are very difficult to stop doing. Um, But I was listening to um, my pastor on Easter and he talked about how when we do that, it's like God has like a special like carving within us that's shaped like a cross and nothing can fit into that space unless it's Him. So no matter what we stuff in there, we'll never be satisfied or fulfilled. We'll always be looking for the next thing that we think is going to make us happy. Until we come to Him, we'll never find that fulfillment because He is the one that gives us that. And it seemed like you recognized that, but maybe not in that way and somehow found your way back.
1: Yes, I don't think I could have articulated it like that at the time, but Mm -hmm. I knew that when I left there, I had to go somewhere. I tried everything else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my mom, like I said, was the person who looked like Jesus the most to me. And she was really big into, she still is, it's been a million years, but she was in BSF, so Bible Study Fellowship. Okay. And I was not ready to do any kind of church. Like there was no way my ex-prostitute self, reeking of cigarettes, not even knowing how to dress like I wasn't going out to the clubs, right. was going to set foot in the church. hmm But for some reason, I decided that BSF would be a good place to go (laughs) because it was all women. You know, there were going to be men there. And my mom had done it and she trusted it. And she said, Steph, why don't you just give BSF a try? There's one in your area. And so I did. And I think I was just like testing the waters, you know, with like, will he? I wonder if he's left me, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. I remember who he was to me. I mean, I always remembered who he was to me but i didn't remember who i was to him. Okay. and so i think going back to bsf was kind of like i'm going to test the waters. i'm going to see how this goes. but we were studying paul. i think we were studi- we were studying acts and it was um i thought man if god can use him <laughs>
0: A murderer, you know, yeah,
1: this guy, a murderer like of <laughs> Christians. And so I thought, how beautiful that that's who we were studying when I came back, because mm-hmm. nobody in BSF looked like me, you know, they were all moms. And, you know, they were a lot of them were stay at home moms and had beautiful homes and all of these things. And I sort of just was very quiet in my circle. Mm-hmm. But Paul, I could get a hold of like, I thought I can I can wrap my head around this guy because he's made a lot of mistakes and God still used him. And I started to think, if I have gone through everything I've gone through and put myself into all of these situations and have lost everything, Mm -hmm. then maybe God could use it for something too. And and so I just started to begin to turn back, you know. And it wasn't some sudden like instantaneous life transformation. There was so much work to do. Mm You know, I think that's where people get frustrated is they think. If I turn to Jesus or I recommit my life to Jesus, then it's all going to happen overnight and everything will be better. And none of my external circumstances changed. You know, I was still broken and traumatized. And when I left alive, all of my PTSD came out. I had no idea I was traumatized. I didn't even know PTSD was a thing for sex workers. Suddenly, I had anxiety. Suddenly, I was afraid to drive. Suddenly, I was experiencing all of these trauma responses mm-hmm. and triggers and nightmares and things that I couldn't even explain. So it wasn't overnight and it's not overnight but it's worth every single step <laughs> that you take mm-hmm. because what I know now almost 20 years later is God can radically change your life and he can restore everything that you lost or tossed and that that your life can be completely redeemed and changed. And that it can be for something. You know, I didn't want anything that I'd gone through, that that I put my daughter through, that I put my family through, that I put myself through. Even even what I'd gone through as a child, like I didn't want any of that to be for nothing. Right. Then it would be ridiculous. If that was for nothing, Mm -hmm. then what was the point? But what I wanted was, was for God to do something for me or in me and through me that would glorify him. That would that would say, look what God can do with a life like mine, because if he would forgive me, like I knew better. I walked away from him. He didn't walk away from me. Right. And if if he would love me and change my life. That's for everybody.
0: Wow. I listen to some of the messages that ladies will leave me, voice messages, emails that they'll send me after listening to my content. And I have had messages from women who currently are strippers or who have since left stripping maybe after watching my content and hearing about Jesus and wanting that relationship. And I do remember one woman saying that she went to church. She wanted to try out church and she went and she just left feeling very confused, feeling like she wanted to drink again just not knowing where to go because maybe they have never been introduced to Jesus, unlike someone who's grown up with the knowledge of Christ and they just want this relationship. But going into a church, is just so overwhelming hearing about all of these people and things you just don't know anything about. Yes,
1: I agree.
0: What would you say to someone, being that you've interacted with other women in this industry where you know where some of them come from and how some of them may think and feel, how would you guide a woman who's currently a stripper and is wanting to leave that life, wanting to have a relationship with Jesus, wanting some peace and just some healing, what would you say to her?
1: Oh, wow. That I understand that church is scary, that church people are scary, you know, (laughs) that church women especially can be really scary, you know, and, but just try. Like, I think that it's so much more simple. It's not simple to leave a life, but a relationship with Jesus is so much more simple, I think, than we realize, and that it comes from just getting to a place where you say, I just can't do it anymore on my own. And even if you don't understand the entirety of the history of the Bible, but you believe that Jesus was real, that you believed that he lived, that you believed he died and rose again, that you believe you can be forgiven and need to be forgiven, and you come to that place with this humility and surrender because it takes it takes humility I mean working in the life like I had so much pride if I can do this I can jump back up on this horse and keep going but when you come to Jesus with that kind of heart of like I can't go anywhere else I can't do this on my own and I may know a tiny tiny bit about this Jesus but I believe what I know and you ask him into your life it's that simple like that simple and you are forgiven. And and so the, I know that there are like practical realities that come after that, right? Like you do want to be connected to a church. You do want to be connected to other people that you can talk with because community is extremely important. And it's something I didn't understand back then that I needed a community of people. Mm-hmm. So I would even say, you know, if someone wanted to reach out to me, they could and at least just have someone to talk to And we could get online and look in that, in that person's area and see what's around, you know, or they could FaceTime me and we could talk about it. Because one thing I know is that I didn't know I was a survivor of anything. Mm. I thought I was just an ex everything. I thought I was an ex whore. I thought I was an ex drug addict. I thought I was an ex this and an ex that, but I had no idea that I was a survivor. And so if someone's gotten to this place and they've gotten through this life and they're ready to turn their life around and surrender it to Jesus, man, you're a survivor of a lot of things. And so it is really important to have someone, at least one person that you can talk to Mm -hmm. who's maybe walked in your high heels, you know, (laughs) maybe has understood just a little bit about what you're talking about and, and just begin to connect with that person. And I, I could be that person. I could help someone get connected if they feel like they don't have a connection but if they do decide to to try a church, just be patient, you know, pray before you go. It's so simple um, to have Jesus into your heart. Like you just ask that question and he's there. Um, but you do want to know more about Jesus because it's not about it's not just about the salvation. You know, it's about the freedom and fulfillment that we can have for the rest of our lives. And that doesn't mean my life is easy. It doesn't mean I haven't experienced loss and grief and horrible things because, Man, let me tell you, the last couple of years has been really hard. So life can still be hard, but I am freer than I've ever been. And my life is more fulfilling than it's ever been. And that cross-sized hole in my heart is full, you know, because it really is a hole that only Jesus can fill. And so try, just try to walk in a church or give me an email, shoot me an email and we'll set something up and um, we'll chat about it because there's no greater love than Jesus. And it's for everybody. You know, that beautiful, sweet love and forgiveness is for everybody. And it's life-changing. It is the only thing that has changed my life. I mean, I could have changed all of the things, but I would not be who I am today without the life transformation of Jesus Christ,
0: period. That is so kind of you to offer that. And you're absolutely right. Jesus died for everyone. His love is for everyone. That is literally why he came and died and rose again, was to free you of everything that you're experiencing because this world is evil and life yes, is hard. Is. And we need, we need help. We need someone to come and save us. And there's no better, greater love. There's no experience that you'll ever be able to even say resembles the love of Christ. It's just different than anything else you've ever experienced. And you won't know it until you simply, like Stephanie said, just ask him to come into your heart. And um, I do have one last question for you, Stephanie. How were you able to forgive your father for what he did?
1: The forgiving part for me, and I know it's not true for everybody, um, and nor should it be. It doesn't have to be because forgiveness is your own journey. Mm-hmm. the forgiving part was easier for me than the forgetting part okay and so um because he is my dad mm-hmm. you know and when i i did bring it to him and say hey you did this and are you going to talk to me about it um he was in the beginnings of dementia and so he never owned it he said well if i did that i don't remember cuz i have alzheimers mm-hmm. and I forgave him on that phone call because I, as, as messed up as it sounds, like I still loved him and God had already done a work in my life and heart, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. to prepare me for that kind of forgiveness. And so I did forgive him that day. And I told him that, you know, I, I, cause I knew he would die, you know, eventually. And he, and he has, he has since passed away. Um, and I didn't want our last conversation to be like that. And so I did say, you know, I, this is my truth. And mm-hmm. if you can't admit that, then I just want you to know that I do forgive you mm-hmm. and I meant it, mm-hmm. but I am, I am still hurt and I still have flashbacks sometimes and, and dreams sometimes. And so the forgetting part mm-hmm. is, you know, it's not easy, you know, there's therapy <laughs> and there's, you know, a beautiful safe community of friends that I have that I can share with and my mom, um, but every I don't ever want someone to feel bad if, if forgiveness is not where they're at mm-hmm. because um, it was important for my heart. And I'm grateful that God, uh, you know, made that a way for me to do that, to forgive him. But um, yeah, I think if someone's not there, they don't need to feel bad about it, but they can pray for their heart to soften to forgiveness because it doesn't mean that what people do to us is okay. And it doesn't mean that they get off scot free. And it doesn't mean that we feel okay about it or that it doesn't still matter. It mm-hmm. doesn't still traumatize us. It just means that his power over me is no
0: more. Exactly. It's a gift that you're giving yourself and yeah. God can strengthen you to get to that point where you're, you're able to do it because it is a gift for yourself. As awful as it is, it helps you. And I'm so So thankful that you were able to share that with us. And I'm so inspired by how brave you are and how beautiful you are. You know, after having so much happen in your life, you're still here today with the restoration that Christ has given to you. Can you just let us know before you leave, Stephanie, about Grit Into Grace Ministries?
1: Yes, I can. So um, Grit Into Grace is a nonprofit I started in 2017 um, working with adult women who've experienced sex work or and or <laughs> sex trafficking, where we provide a place for women to experience community, get advocacy and connection. And so we have this really funky, beautiful location on the near east side of Indianapolis, Indiana called the Dream House, which is a non-residential house for ladies to come during the day and be a part of healthy community to experience the love of Jesus. Um, even though we don't force that on anybody, they're going to experience that just by walking in the door. And, you know, we, we serve lunch and we have clothing and hygiene and beautiful programming that sort of surrounds a survivor. We have, you know, tomorrow, they go to horse therapy today. We have an identity out of abuse series going on right now. We, we, um, we have art therapy and talk therapy and group therapy. And so there's a lot of programming. There's practical things like HIV, STD testing and, um, you know, legal services that we we partner with the uh, legal Indiana Legal Services. And so um, we try to connect ladies with those kinds of programs. They can get case management with our advocate and recovery support with a survivor support specialist. And so, you know, God just gave me this um, literally a dream of a place like this, because what I had... <laughs> was a mom, you know, I had someone who I could turn to who would show me what the love of Jesus looked like. And when I began to dream about what is what is it that God has for me as someone who's experienced all of these things, but, but really loves Jesus and wants to make a difference and share that with other people, like what would that look like and what is missing? Mm-hmm. And what was missing was a place for people to go and just find rest and just for a second, be safe and a place to just breathe. And sometimes people nap here. And, you know, that's a big deal when people live and work on the streets to come to some place and just nap means that they feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so God, in his way, provided this beautiful space for women to come and um, experience his love and life transformation, if that's something that they want, and programming and therapy and ways to work through their own trauma and healing and just be a part of a community of women who love them, you know, who love them no matter what. And I think that in community, um, there's so much healing and freedom that we can find. And so God has just blessed us um, to be in 2023. We made it through COVID and all that. we have a second house that we're working on called the butterfly house, where we will be able to house eight women to live as in transitional programming. And so we're really excited about that coming up. And, um one thing that's missing in Indianapolis is a place for women like us to live and and be protected a little bit longer until we're ready to live independently. So um, that's what we're doing next. We go into the prisons into the um, the Marion County jail and we we do outreach in those places and share his love and and some equipping and empowering education um, curriculum with women while we're there and connect with them upon release. So God's doing really cool things that, only he can do, because I would have known how to open any of these doors. (laughs) But this is what he's done. And I'm so grateful. You know, it's a super hard job. It's a, it is, man, it's been a difficult road to walk at times, but I'm so grateful for, um, for the ability to say yes, and for the ability to remain and Um, to partner with, you know, I have a beautiful staff and I have um, really great community partners. And so we don't have to do this alone. And um, yeah, I'm just really grateful for what God's done in my own life so we can share that with other people.
0: Wow. That is incredible. I am so, so moved by this. That's so amazing. I hope that we can partner with you and others can partner to help this vision continue to grow. And we thank you so much Stephanie for being here and sharing your story and your inspiration and your light to the world. And I pray that you continue to flourish and help many, many women who look up to you and your story and all that Jesus has done for you. Thank you so thank much you for so being much here. For having me. You're
1: such a beautiful person and just grateful for the work that you're doing to give people the platform to give God some glory and introduce him to other people. So thank you for
0: Just the privilege of being here today to share a little bit about what God's done. Thank you. And thank you all for watching. Bye-bye.